All right, amen, amen. And I, I got my timer on, so we'll go where we got to go. Um, so welcome to discipleship class. Again, I'm Coach. This is my wife, Pastora, uh, Max and Trish, however you like, like to call us. Uh, discipleship class is something that we feel it's really important. It's been important in our life. We noticed after years of ministering that discipleship a lot of times does not happen. Does not happen uh, for many reasons. For, for many reasons, but we know that it's a very important part of our faith, of us walking the, our, our faith in this world is being discipled. And we're going to look into the, into the verses that kind of talks about it, why we should do it, and then we're going to talk about how we should do it. Uh, but it's, it, again, I think it's an important topic uh, in church. It's an important topic in the biker community. Uh, I'm, we're going to go into this more talking about discipleship as a whole, as a Christians. Uh, previously, when I taught this, this, I talked about how to do discipleship as a, a prospect at a motorcycle community or community like that, motorcycle minister or motorcycle club. Um, today, we want to focus on what the Bible says about what discipleship looks like. So it's going to be in that kind of matter. And then we can talk more about it, uh, how you've been discipled and everything else. Because most of the time when I talk about discipleship, about 70% or so of people never been discipled by anybody. They've never had a mentor. They've never had somebody walk with them through this time of discipleship of where they begin um, their journey and their Christian life to where they start serving. Most of the time you come to church, you accept Jesus, you have some kind of gift and they put you in the service. And there was, there's no training in your spiritual walk. So that's why we really want to push on what discipleship is, how it should look like. And again, we're going to go through the scriptures. We teach every point has to come from scripture. So we're going to give you guys lots of scriptures. So if you guys open up your Bible, open up your app on your phone, that way you guys don't, don't fall asleep and you're somewhat active. So we're going to start off. In Matthew chapter 28, 19 through 20, this is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I think that this is a good place to start. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So before we even get into the whole discipleship, what is our calling? What did Jesus tell us to do? Did he say, go and just tell them about me and that's it? No, he's, we are challenged. This discipleship is a commandment from God. He says, go and make disciples. We don't want to just preach the gospel, open the altar call, and let them flop on themselves, by themselves. Jesus wanted them to walk with that person in their faith, in their, in their struggles, in their understanding. That is our call. So we, in our respectful ministries, and our respectful churches, we should be looking for that. How are we making disciples? And it's easier, since we're talking about brothers and sisters, about Christian biker unity, it is easier to start this kind of training, discipleship, within the church. 
Let's make sure that the church people or make, make sure that people in your ministry are discipled to a mature Christianity and not just send them out. No, let's just focus on people outside the church, those who are not saved. We're not going to able to do that if there's no foundation in the ministry or, or the church. So the first thing we got to do is we got to make disciples of all nations. And how do we do that? Uh, it's, it, it might be very interesting that the first thing it says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I honestly, before with this class, I never put too much to it. Baptism is something that we should do. It's a, it's a, it's a, a big part of, of our faith, a big part of our belief, but I never thought that that's one of the steps for discipleship is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the second one is teach them to obey all, all of my commandments, right? So that's how, we, that's how we disciple people. Again, the word, right? I'm not, I'm not making stuff up. I'm not leading you up. Baptize them. And then teach them all the commandments that Jesus have shared with his disciples. So how does that look like? What does that look like? Right? So really often we kind of break this great commission up as that you first make disciples, then you baptize, then you teach them. And we consider making disciples is pretty much we evangelize, we preach the good news, right? And then we invite them to pray the salvation prayer. And yes, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are justified. It is with your heart that you believe and are saved. So that moment is a moment of repentance. It's really the beginning of your discipleship. It's the beginning of the Christian journey. It's not the end. So we do a disservice when we learned an amazing, you know, amazing class about evangelism and we learned to go out there and preach the good news and we just have people pray a salvation prayer, which as a side note, um, many of us just say that you need to accept the Lord Jesus in your heart, but really what you're supposed to do is repent and confess him as your Lord. And confessing him as your Lord means that your life is no longer your own. You now have to go where he says to go and do what he says to do. So when we just say, well, God loves you, you just accept Jesus into your heart. We make it this warm, fuzzy feeling. And then people fall on their face, right? Because all of a sudden life gets hard and they have suffering. And it's like that seed that's planted on, on the shallow soil. The enemy comes and snatches it away. So we do these evangelistic efforts. We have a huge altar call. We have a great response. And then the next month, or the next week even, you have the same people coming to the altar and we don't understand why they're not being transformed. We don't understand why they're not being saved. So just as a quick poll, how many of you have actually had someone intentionally disciple you over the course of your life? Okay, so a little bit less than half of us, which means that the rest of us have kind of been forging our way through the dark, right? We're just kind of bumping along. You know, you glean from a sermon here, you glean from a sermon there. You may have had a mentor. You may have had a a parent who you admired or a grandparent. Um, You may look up to your pastor, but again, your pastor is also ministering to how many other people. But discipleship is a very intensive one-on-one relationship. When Christ came, he changed the world by pretty much pouring in to 12 disciples. He did not have, he, when he would preach, sometimes there were thousands of people in attendance, but for the most part, he spent, you know, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day with these 12 disciples pouring into them. And for us to have that equivalent, as far as maturity goes, it would take us 20 to 30 years. So for us, discipleship doesn't happen in a really concentrated small amount of time. Discipleship is really going to be a lifelong process. So it doesn't happen in the moment when he says to make disciples, 
being baptized and being taught to obey is how you make disciples. It's not having people pray one salvation prayer. So the first thing that we want to get into is what does it mean to be baptized? This also we need to unpack because we think of baptism as this moment. It's just a celebratory moment where you go under the water and you come up and you, you die and then you are raised in Christ. And it's the symbolic moment. But it's a little bit deeper than that because... Um, when John came to preach about baptism, Jesus had not yet come. He had, I mean, he, he was preaching before Jesus came to him and was baptized. He, he was preaching the baptism uh, and doing baptisms before Jesus died and resurrected. So what you see is actually in the biblical tradition, baptism was an act of repentance. So it was literally a dying of yourself and coming up and being baptized in the name of of God that you would now follow God and and God would be the one that was in charge of your life. So it was a declaration of faith. And this existed before Christ. That's why Jesus himself was baptized even though he was without sin, he did he was baptized. And this baptism is a baptism of repentance. Uh, we see in Luke chapter 24 if you want to turn there, uh, verse 47 uh, actually, 40, starting with 46, it's um, Jesus, after his resurrection, tells his disciples. This is almost like a Great Commission uh, version, but from the book of Luke. It says in verse 46, he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So the first part of discipleship, again, is not just this. It may start with a prayer of salvation, but it's more importantly a prayer of repentance. And baptism is an act of repentance. It is through baptism that you receive the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, so we see that in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. One, we, we right away, we jump into the story of John the Baptist. In chapter 4, it says, And so John came, baptizing in the desert region, and preaching the baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sin. So when we talk about, when we make disciples, we, and we talk about baptizing them, we need to realize that that, that baptism starts with repentance. There's got to be repentance. When, when you take somebody on to disciple you need to get them to a point. You need to get them to a point of repentance. They need to understand. For them to understand why they need Jesus, they need to understand. They need to repent. They need to confess those sins, because otherwise they're not going where they want to go. Okay. So this baptism, when we start, it's got to be pointed to the baptism that it, that it leads to repentance, leads to confession of sins. That's why one of the first things that we want to do in discipleship is bring them to, to that kind of a baptism, right? Right. So the reason we're saying this is, you know, so often in, in evangelism, there's basically two models. There's the, the preaching hellfire and brimstone, and you just are kind of out there um, sharing, you know, passing out tracts and things like that. And there's nothing relational about it. And on the flip side, you have this approach that's taught that you're just supposed to love, 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 love. Um, and there's not necessarily any truth in that. But scripture actually teaches us to speak the truth in love. That's from Ephesians 4. To speak the truth in love. So the best way to evangelize and share the gospel is that you share the hard truth, which is that we are enemies with God. 
We, all, we have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners and we need to repent. That is the truth that needs to be told. But at the same time, you have to say it in a way. Um, you know, I was talking about this with a sister earlier that, you know, you can go out and you can give food to the homeless. You can, um, you know, go and minister to people in the hospitals or in the prisons. And you can do these really good acts of kindness. But if you're not actually teaching the truth, anyone can love. Anyone can do good deeds and kind things. But if you're not bringing the power of the gospel, then you're not truly doing evangelistic work. You're not truly out there doing the great commission of what God called you to do. So we have to be able to teach the gospel and evangelize in a way that demonstrates the love of Christ, but at the same time also speaks the truth, which is that we need repentance. Too often in church, we have taught so much that God is love, God is love, God is love, that people then don't understand that God is also holy. In fact, he's, he's holy before he is love. So we need to be holy as he is holy. And if we don't teach God's holiness, we end up leading people into a place of confusion because they're believing a false gospel. Because they, they don't understand why God who loves me would allow me to suffer. They don't understand. And Jesus makes it very clear that if you want to follow after him, you pick up your cross, right? He never says, follow me on a golden path covered in roses. That's just not how it works. In fact, very often when you make the commitment to Christ, your life is going to get harder. Because now you not only have the, the consequences of living in a sinful, fallen world, but now you actually have the gates of hell trying to prevail against you. You actually have the enemy out to steal, kill, and destroy you, where before, you know, he, he already had you, so he didn't really have to do much. And we don't te- we're not teaching that in a way that is constructive and empowering. And then we end up setting people, you know, we're trying to snatch people from hell. And um, Jesus actually condemns the Pharisees for this. He says, you travel over land and sea only to make disciples that are twice the sons of hell as you are. And God forbid that we repeat that same mistake. I know none of us in this room want to make that same mistake. Our goal is that we would be seen as good and faithful servants and that there'd be a great cloud of witnesses that we could be a part of their redemption. Yeah, and as, the, as they are repenting, as they're confessing their sins, now they are allowing the Holy Spirit to come upon, upon us. Uh, Mark talks about it just after verse 4 in chapter 1. In verse 8, it's uh, 7, I'm sorry. It says, and this was his message. Am I right? 8. He said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So when we're talking about baptism, we need to understand. So there's a repentance. There's a confession. And now the next steps, now the Holy Spirit comes into us. As we surrender ourselves to him and let him come into, come into us, into, into our life, into our world. So that way we can push on and do what God calls us to do. Acts chapter 8 emphasizes that. Well, I'm looking at Acts 2 first. Oh, I'm sorry. Acts 2.38 says, uh, this is after Peter. They, it's the day of Pentecost. They receive the Holy Spirit. Peter goes out and he preaches this incredible sermon. And thousands of people come to know the Lord that day. But in verse 38, Peter says this at the end of his sermon. He says, repent and be baptized. Again, those two being tied together. That repentance is demonstrated through the act of baptism. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children, for all those who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. And while we're not going to get into you know denominational discrepancies, some people say that... 
you, you're baptized in water and baptism in the Holy Spirit is separate. Some people say they happen at the moment of your decision. That's not what we're, we're here to talk about making disciples. But the main thing that we want to emphasize is whatever the order, whether it happens in an instant, whether it happens as a process, that there is the steps of first you repent, you're baptized, and you receive the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't always happen in scripture in that order. Sometimes they're preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they're like, well, I guess we should baptize them. So, and it confused the apostles just as much as it confuses us. Because we cannot put God in a box. The Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Amen? Yeah. So, again, we want to look at this. Again, we're pushing up how we do disciple people. And that's why this whole baptism thing, we want to talk about it. Because I feel like there's really steps and we miss some things about these steps. We don't lead people to repentance. We don't lead people to confession of sins. We don't lead people to the baptism of, of repentance, of actual baptism of the old has died, the new has come, the surrendering ourselves to it, but the also of, of the Holy Spirit. We see this in Acts chapter 8 that I started before. This is Philip uh, in Samaria. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and they and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. So they were baptized, the baptism of repentance. And then we see in verse 15, it says, when they arrived, they, um, it's talking about Peter and John, arrived to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So you, somebody who are discipling somebody, we need to see this. We need to see this understanding that you're walking through, the, through with them. I'm sorry, with them in their, in their walk with faith, faith and they repent and they confess their sins and they get baptized and say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, but we're, they're still missing something. They're walking around powerless. We need to lead them to a next step. Explain to them what a Holy Spirit is. We need to explain to them what are the fruit of the Spirit is. And we need to lay hands on them, just like Peter and John laid hands on those who were already saved. They had the forgiveness, but they did not have the Holy Spirit. We, we do injustice to those who are underneath us if we don't teach them to walk with the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. We do injustice to them because the world, the, world, the, the thing that we fight against is not about flesh and blood, Right? So that means we need that armor of God that can only come through the Holy Spirit. It's not a physical thing. It's, a, it's done through the Holy Spirit. The only way we can love somebody who can be loved is because of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness. All those things come because of the Holy Spirit. And if we don't lay hands and pray for those that we're mentoring and discipling, we're doing them injustice because now they're walking around naked. And this world is being attacked because they're now the enemy of the world, just like they were before. Right. So the last scripture we're going to have under this first point, and the reason we're emphasizing baptize, which may sound like a foreign thing, we don't think much about baptism when we talk about discipleship. But again, baptism is this symbolic happening. But what, is, what we're teaching people is not just to say a prayer. We're teaching them that as you repent, then you come up in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the goal. So symbolically, you're dying to yourself. You're being resurrected in Christ. You're dying and you're repenting from your sin. And you're coming up with the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we just have them pray a salvation prayer, even if we just have them immersed in water, if they're not being filled with the Holy Spirit, if they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, we have set people up to fail. 
They can sit in our churches for 20 or 30 years and not experience transformation. Then they start to get spiritually attacked and they crumble and they turn back um, to their addictions and to other things that they were using to help cope with the, with the sin and with the hurt and the trauma that's in their life. Because we have not given them the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 19, uh, Paul goes to, to Ephesus and he asks them, he found some disciples and he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit, right? So even in the early church, they had some issues with discipleship. Um, hopefully no one in our churches are, are asking, who's the Holy Spirit? I don't, um, that would be a really scary place to be. Uh, but it, it's, it's very well possible because we, we teach people the word, but we don't necessarily demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. So then Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? They replied, John's baptism, which we talked about earlier, is a baptism of repentance. And Paul actually says this. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. What does this mean? It says, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. And again, we're not going to get into, but the, there are many gifts of the Holy Spirit. But when you receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in power. So there's an empowerment that should be happening in the church that people don't just get plucked from hell, but they actually now have the ability to fight against the, the enemy's schemes. They have power to, to go out into the world and demonstrate what Christ has done. The same power that resurrected Christ from the grave is the power that has been given to you and I. And we sit on, on the fact that we're a temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God is within us and has sent us forth to bear fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, but has also given us gifts to prophesy and to teach and to do miracles and to do healing. And we are not seeing this in most of our churches. And this is because there's an issue with discipleship. This is why this is so important. So that being said, we're going to move into the second part. As we said from the Great Commission, he says, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. So the next step is how do we teach people and what are we teaching them? Yeah, so again, if we're, we're disciples of Christ and we have people in our lives that we are going to disciple, so we're going to follow the same order as Jesus did. So we, we see in Mark chapter, seven, chapter 1, verse 17, He's walking by, by Simon and Andrew who are fishing. And he just says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishermen of men. Of men. So that's the first thing that we do. We find somebody that we're going to mentor and be like, hey, come with me. Let me guide you through this walk. I did this walk. Now let me guide you through this walk. And then we say something that is very, very hard, which Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 11. 1. Then we need to say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So I want to pause on that statement. When you're ready to take somebody on to disciple, understand that you might have to say that to them. Follow me as I follow Christ. So that means if you're not walking the right way, they're going to go right with you to that place. So before you start discipling somebody, make sure that you're walking the right path. Because if you take somebody and you're walking with them and they walk right behind you and you're not walking into the right direction, you're going to walk them straight into hell. Okay? 
Because as those who are discipling, we have to make the statement. This is a very bold statement. I really believe so. Like Paul, that's, that's a lot of boldness. That, that would be scary to say. All right, but we have to do that. We have to be challenged to do that. If we are going to... If we are going to disciple, we got to make sure here, walk with me. Let's do, let's do life together. Walk with me and see what I'm doing, right? And we understand that in the motorcycle, motorcycle ministry, we've done that all the time with protocol, right? They've just probing, just get behind me, see what I'm doing. Keep your mouth shut and kind of just let's go. This is how I introduce myself. This is how I stand. This is where I go. This is what I say. Just watch me. But we got to do the same thing in the Christian walk. This is how I pray. This is how I tithe. This is how I evangelize. This is how I love people. We, we have to do that. And we have to do it the right way. So we got to just bring them in right next side of us. So discipleship, what, what we're saying here is that discipleship is a commitment. It's not a moment in time. Just the same way Jesus says, come follow me. We're not, when you disciple someone and you teach them, you're not just passing on and relaying information. What you're doing is, is you're transmitting a way of life. You're teaching them to be transformed into the image of Christ. And just the same way Christ said, follow me, you're telling them, follow me. So it's going to take time. It's going to take energy. It's going to be frustrating. There may be times when you get mad. You may have late nights. You may have to drive out of your way to be there for them in a time of need. Discipleship will cost you. Discipleship is something that is life on life. It's not something that you do in a moment or even for an hour once a week. So uh, my, my other point with that is that you will teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. So if you're doing discipleship, you could teach all the right theology. You could teach, you know, how to memorize scripture. You could teach, you could even teach them to pray. But at the end of the day, if you are really doing discipleship, you will reproduce who you are. So if you could be teaching all the right things, but if you're not living it out, they're going to see your hypocrisy and they're going to think that it's okay for them to do the same thing. So that's why we're saying, you say, follow me as I follow Christ. And then not only are you teaching them to have integrity, teaching them to walk the narrow path, but it holds you accountable to walking that same narrow path. Because now you can no longer do what you want to do because someone else is watching you. Yeah, and with that one, one of the favorite verses that I hear all the time, especially in the men's ministry, is iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. With, with, that, with that statement... We need to understand that before I can sharpen another man, I need to go to the rock, the true rock, and get myself straight. Because if I have nicks on my, on my knife or on my sword or whatever else, and I take their stuff and we go back and forth, what's going to happen? I'm just going to put the same nicks on their sword as I have on mine. So we have to go to the rock. We have to go to the truth. We have to go through our, through our Lord and Savior and make sure we sharpen ourselves through the Holy Spirit, through our prayer, through the study of the Word, so that when the man comes to us, we don't make the same mistakes for them in their life, right? So the next step, I want you guys to turn to Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42, the beginning of, of, of the church. They did not come up with this. All that they did is they started, they did what Jesus did for them. The apostles did not come up with this great idea of, of good doing the teachings of praying, of fellowship, of breaking of bread. This is not something that they come up with themselves. They just saw that's what Jesus did. He broke bread with them. They, pr- they prayed together. 
They fellowshiped together. They hung out together. They did life together. They walked together to different places. They ministered together. They, he, they listened to him teach. They listened to him preach. He would take him aside, just the 12 of them, and explain the parables. That, that's what we're doing. That's what the steps that I want you to do. So when we talk about how you disciple, we're going to look at what Jesus did and what the, the beginning of church did. All right, so I'll just read through this and I'll read through all the way through 47 and we'll just break this up. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching. By the way, what do you guys think apostles' teaching was? Do you think they busted out the, the Bible and they're like, all right, let's, let's. what did the apostles do? What was the apostles' teaching? What were they doing? They were just talking about what they saw Jesus doing, right? He's like, man, we were at this place once. Guess what Jesus did? There was 5,000 people and we had only pieces of bread and some fish and he fed all of them. Wow, it's amazing. How do you do that? Through faith. You know, there was one time the Pharisees came at him and they said this and he answered them back. And it was amazing. There was so much wisdom. That's all they were doing. They were just telling stories about Jesus. That was the teaching. That's, we, that's how we got the, the Gospels is just through it. They just made it a little bit better. And chronologically, kind of, sort of. All right. So that's what they were doing. They were focusing on the word of God. They were focusing on the life of Jesus Christ. So that's what they were doing when they were devoted themselves to apostles teaching. They were just hearing about what Jesus did. And then they were devoted to the fellowship of just being together, of hanging out. That's why this is so awesome that we get to hang out. We're fellowshipping together. It's important things of breaking of bread. And we, we can look at that of breaking of bread, of actually sharing meals together. And we can also talk about breaking of bread, of having the communion, Right. And the last one, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miracles signs were done by the apostles. All the, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possession and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and made together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. This is your outline of how you should disciple people. This is what you want to see them do. You want them to be devoted to the scripture. Devoted, not just something that in the morning I give you a minute or two uh, because my phone texts me a verse. But devoted to the scripture. They want to be devoted to fellowship, living life together. You have to live life together. I cannot disciple somebody who I see once a month. Like those things like, oh, they're discipling me. When do you meet? Oh, we meet once a month for an hour and we talk. That's not discipleship. It might be accountability partner, kind of, sort of. But what are you doing the other 30 days of the month? Just hoping for the best? It's got to be a life thing. It's got to be that fellowship is very important because that's where you learn things too. They, they were committed to breaking of bread, communion, and just eating. Eating is good. It brings everybody together. You bring free, free food is even better. It brings people together. We, we can connect. We can talk. We, we can understand. We spend time. And also communion. Remembering of what Christ did for us. The, his body that was broken. The blood that was shed for, for our new covenant. Those are all the things that we need to teach people. And prayer. It's prayer. It's, it's really hard for me. It's really hard for me when I'm a part of some kind of group. Doesn't matter, motorcycle group and church and everything else. I'm like, all right, let's pray. Can somebody pray? And it's the biggest silence. 
And of course, there's always that one person. Like, why don't we, why are we excited to come before the Lord? It's like, no, I want to talk to God. We, we should be teaching people how to pray. We should be, they should be comfortable praying out loud. Because there's going to be time comes in the motorcycle minister when somebody comes like, man, I'm going through something. Can you pray for me? And you're like, well, I've never prayed, prayed out loud. I'm sorry. Let me send you to somebody else. What, 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 are you, what are you showing? People need to learn how to pray. And I, I feel like it's not something that we should teach, but we should teach. And they should hear you pray. Pray for them, always. This is how you pray. Disciples were absolutely confused. You know what? If you don't know how to pray, pray this. Our Father who is in heaven. You might not be able to hit everything that they pray because they're like, hey, my, my, my father is in the hospital. Can you pray for me? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Spirit is going to figure it out the rest. Right? So you got to teach them how to pray. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit gives us words and intercedes, right? When we have, you know, with moanings and groanings that we cannot express. So looking at these four, these are four tools that this is when you're discipling someone, when you're teaching them um, how to obey the Lord's commands. These are the methods that you use. You teach them using scripture. You have time of fellowship. You break bread together, both through meals as well as communion. And then you spend time together in prayer, both modeling prayer, praying together, praying for them, allowing them to pray and teaching them how in um, integrated how important prayer is into the spiritual walk um, because that we don't engage with, uh, you know, powers and we engage with powers and principalities of the spiritual realm. And so we need to teach people how to do that. And again, you see now why we were emphasizing, you can't do any of this. If you don't have the Holy spirit, you can't disciple someone. Discipleship may start with a prayer, but if they haven't repented, you're just going to be beating your head against the wall because all you can do is just say, well, drinking is wrong. Well, drinking, you shouldn't be drinking anymore. And, and they're just like, I just can't help it. I just can't. Well, they don't have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So we can't go further with discipleship until you go through these different steps. And then these four tools from Acts 2.42 tell you the methods. They tell you how you can actually disciple people. Rather than just having an information that you're teaching one way with maybe some conversation, it's actually a tool that this is how Christ modeled it for us. And he lived, as I said earlier, he walked with his disciples for three years, the entire time, 365 days a year, and they got to do life with him in a really concentrated way. And just by discipling 12 people, he was able to change the world. Sometimes I think we feel like we have to have this huge ministry, right? We want to preach to hundreds. We want to preach to thousands. We think our church needs to be so big. And Jesus just kind of hold it here. No, if you take two people... This is what we're doing with our church. Our church is a micro church. If you take two people and you disciple them intentionally, very integrated into their life, you know, calling them on the phone, praying with them, doing what we're saying right here. You take those two people and after a year, those two people start doing the same for another two people. By the time you get to year seven, you are reaching about 18 to 25,000 people in a year which is way bigger than what you would have if you were teaching the same 300 people Sunday after Sunday and the same people are coming to the altar. And now they're not just people who are Christians by name, but they're people who have been rooted and grounded deep in the word, deep in discipleship. You've seen life transformation. 
And so we have to stop thinking, casting the net so wide and so big. We have to start going deep into the word of God and deep into discipleship and asking the Lord, you know, okay, Lord, I might not be able to preach to thousands, but are there two? Are there two in my life who I can identify and I can say, these are people who need some discipleship. These are people that I feel the Lord is asking me to take another week. These are people who I see are struggling. And the same way that Jesus said, come follow me, that you could say, listen, I know you're really struggling. I really hurting, but let me testify to you what Christ has done for me. And I want you to experience the same thing that I've experienced. So come follow me. Let me show you how it's done. This is drastically different than what so many of us have been doing. But this is the biblical format. This is what what has been set out for us to do. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 starting in 11, we see this picture of why it needs to be this way. It says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach all unity, right? Which is why we're all here for unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to become mature, attaining to the whole measure the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by the wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So this is what discipleship looks like. This is what mature discipleship looks like. It is through this process that we build up the body of Christ to maturity, building itself up with the truth in one hand and with love in the other hand. And, and we can't just have people pray a prayer and then send them out to start doing evangelism. We are not stewarding the word of God well. We are not stewarding the gospel well. And what you see is when Jesus first called his disciples, which we shared earlier from Mark chapter 1, he says, come follow me. But he doesn't say go until three years later. After three years of literally following Jesus himself, being taught, breaking bread, doing this process, then he says go. And when we have someone pray a prayer, but they know nothing about scripture, they don't really have a testimony yet, they're falling on their face, and we send them out to evangelize, we've now perpetuated generation after generation of shallow discipleship, of immature disciples. And it leads to this where we're infants being tossed back and forth by false teaching, tossed back and forth by the enemy and by sin. And instead of going, taking the slow process, the narrow road, and allowing God to transform us through that process until we reach all maturity in the fullness of Christ. Amen.